to you, uh, those of you that are here that are moms, um, and for the moms that are uh, represented here but aren't here, I hope that um, you'll be able to take something away from this message of service today and, and bless them with it. Um, when I wrote out this year's Mother's Day card to my mom, who I was fortunate enough to have her with me this past week, I just try to think, you know, how am I going to praise her for being a mom? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to praise her for. Uh, thanks for feeding me. Thanks for disciplining me when I needed it. Thanks for always being there for me. And thanks for all these things that moms do. But um, what's the ultimate thing that I could praise a mom for? In fact, I want to actually broaden it a little bit and include moms. But I just want to talk about godly womanhood. Because I thought, as, as this day was approaching, I thought, um, not just moms, but, but women. I mean, um, every Sunday you come and you hear a male speak. Um, worship is led by a male, just happens to be, you know. Um, present comes on, you get addressed by a male, and, you know, just... Males, 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 you read the Bible. And the disciples were males, Jesus was a male, God is most often referred to as male, even though he doesn't have a gender. Um, but women, sometimes we don't address what, what, what does womanhood look like? Um, I'm not a woman, so I'll give it to you from the outside perspective, but also the biblical perspective of what is that? What does it look like? What does it mean? And there's one place uh, in all the Bible that just really lays it out. Um, and some of you, you know, you, you speak real good Christianese already, you know? You know where it is, it's in Proverbs 31. So I'd like to invite you to turn there. Let's go to Proverbs 31 um, and, and look at what, what this is. Um, <laughs> the book of Proverbs is, uh, it's a collection of, of wisdom, uh, wise sayings, um, that, uh, you know, like the early bird gets the worm. That's like an American proverb. Okay, that these are wise sayings that are often symbols for uh, meaning something else, a deep truth, the things that you should live by. And so Proverbs is a collection of these. And then right when you get to the end, you get this description of just what an awesome woman could look like. And not every woman is a mom, not every woman is married, but some are. And this this gives a picture of some of those possibilities. So what I want to do, I just want to read through it, pause here and there, to just see if we get what, what's being said. That's Proverbs 31, drop down to verse 10. And it starts off like this. Uh, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. Now let's pause a second. Right there, it already sounds sarcastic, right? <laughs> like, a precious, an excellent wife? <laughs> Who can find one of those? I mean, it's, it's like you're looking for a jewel. <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Um, that's not what he's saying. Um, what he is saying, though, is not so much how rare she is, but how valuable she is. There's a lot of wives. It's not, it's not that much work. To become a wife, 
Some of you are like, well, you should, you know, see the, the guys, I have options. I'm just saying, if you settled, it's not hard to become a wife, right? But an excellent wife, that's valuable. Far more valuable than any jewel, any stone, any gem. An excellent wife. There's a qualifier there. Here's what she's like. Verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. He doesn't just trust her like he can go away for a week and trust that she's going to be faithful. This isn't just talking about intimacy. But trust her with all the responsibilities that she has. You see as they unfold. But verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. There's a couple of things like this, this. She's going to stick around. And while she's sticking around, she's not going to nag him to death. She's not going to gossip behind his back. Sometimes women like to get together and just... Let off a little steam. I guess that's a little natural, right? But, you know, sometimes it, it becomes the husband bashing thing. You know, I feel like nine out of ten commercials are, are husband bashing commercials now. Look at my idiot husband always making messes. That's why I buy Bounty. You know, I mean, it's always just men are idiots and women are like, yes, perfect commercial. I'm buying Bounty. It speaks to women because we're very frustrated with our moronic husbands. But she, she... She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She does a lot of stuff. Verse 13. I'm going to sit for this. (laughs) She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings food, her food, from afar. She rises while it is yet night. And provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I mean, you got to think, obviously, this wasn't when there was a target every five miles. And um, they didn't have blenders, food processors, microwaves. So she's, she's preparing food for the day at, you know, four in the morning or whatever it is. Um, she rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she's got help. Little, take a little bit of the pressure off, right? I mean, she, this is... But look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. I don't know, maybe we have some marriages here. I, I, I don't know how you guys all set up your finances and stuff, but sometimes the guys are very controlling, you know, with the finances. And I see what comes in and I see what goes out. And if you want to buy something, ask me for permission or whatever. But if you back up to verse 11, her husband trusts in her. And you get down like, wow, doesn't just trust her to behave, you know, but trust her with things, trust her with finances. She sees a field, she considers a field, she considers it. She didn't just, oh, I saw a field and I just brought it home, what do you think? She considers it, she weighs it, she's using wisdom, and she buys it. And then what does she do with it? With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. It wasn't a foolish purchase. She thought about it. She's going to use it. She's going to make it work. Verse 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's not going to the gym. That's a symbolism that she is is a strong woman. She's a wise woman. She she has a wherewithal, you know. Um, She's not um, flippant in her decisions. She's a strong woman. 
she perceives, verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. And she works late into the night. She gets stuff done. So she gets up early and she doesn't go to sleep. Verse uh, 19. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold to the spindle. So she might go to the market and buy clothes. She might just buy the fabric and make it at home. Verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor. And reaches out her hands to the needy. So not only does she care for her children. Not only does she care for her husband. She cares for the servants in her household. Not only does she care for the servants in her household. She cares for people who are out of work outside of her house. Who don't have any way to get anything themselves. And she gives them proceeds from her field. And proceeds from the things that merchandise that she sold. You feeling any pressure yet? Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Scarlet could possibly be translated uh, double thickness. Um, So when the weather report comes on, she doesn't freak out. You know, when she gets news that a storm is coming, she doesn't she doesn't start worrying. Um, Maybe there's some moms in here or some wives in here, just ladies in here that are the worrying type. You know, she's, she's not like that. She, she prepares um, and she trusts the Lord. Then verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. I have a hard time making the bed. She makes, literally makes the bed. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. I got a sense that it's not just saying her husband's really well known, but almost like she has something to do with it. I mean, each of these praises something about her. And it's not just awesome that she happens to have a husband that's well known and respected, but she has a hand in that. And I think there's some truth to that saying that behind every good man is a a good wife. You know, I mean, I think um, much of what I'm able to do here uh, with you guys is is because of Tina. Um, verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. Whatever tomorrow brings, that's not, it's not going to rock my world. She's prepared. She thought of it ahead of time. There's a lot of Proverbs in here about like, look at the ant. Look at the ant, you lazy person, and see how the ant is always grabbing stuff on its back and bringing it down to the colony to prepare ahead of time for those seasons to come. She exemplifies that. And verse 26, I love this. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You know, the the Proverbs open up saying that the, these Proverbs that are, that are being laid out, these 31 chapters of Proverbs that are being laid out, is for dads and moms to teach. And so the teaching, the wisdom of what's being taught, is not just from dad, it's from mom. And so she's a teacher. And she exudes wisdom. She opens her mouth and wisdom comes out. She knows what she's talking about. She knows what pleases the Lord. She knows what's right to do. And verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household 
and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not sitting at home Facebooking all day. You know, she's not just catching up on 18 hours of recorded soap operas. She's not idle. She's constantly working, getting things done, moving, making sure things are happening. And what's the result? Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. It's really tempting to go into another sermon for the men. You know, like, praise her. And listen to what he says, verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, let's pause there a second. Now, if you're reading that, and you're looking at every verse, and you say, okay, I'm going to be that kind of woman. I'm going to be that kind of lady. I'm going to live these verses out. I, I don't know how, how many you'd get through before you just feel like, okay, never mind. This is impossible. I can maybe do the get up early one, or I could do the stay up till, I could stay up till three, or I could get up at four, but I'm not going to stay up till three and get up at four. That's insane. I mean, is that even healthy? One or two hours of sleep? Um, to see the sun go down and see the sun get up, and is that even is that even possible? I mean, do I have to learn how to make my clothes and sell? Do I need to learn real estate so I can buy fields? Do I have to become knowledgeable enough in finances so that my husband can trust me to do big time transactions, and that I would have considered it and and with expertise make sure those deals happen? And not only am I making sure those deals are being made, but I'm on top of it with my children. Everyone's being fed. I don't hear I'm hungry because it's ready. If the stock market crashes, we've got savings, we've everything. I mean, as you move through these verses, you start to realize the bar is a little bit high right here. Well, there's something we need to understand about this chapter, and it's a big relief. It's not a checklist. It's not saying, here's, you know, 22 qualities of a woman. Check them off as you accomplish them. That's not what it's saying. In fact, as we went through, did you kind of notice that sometimes it would talk about a topic and then go to another topic and then come back to another topic? She makes clothing and then go to something else and then back to clothing again. It's kind of random, right? It wasn't moving through like, let's talk about house, let's talk about finances, let's talk about this, this, that. It was kind of scattered a little bit. There's a reason for that. It's because if we're reading this in Hebrew, the way it was originally written, the language was originally written, we'd see that it's an acrostic. I don't know if you guys remember what an acrostic is. An acrostic is like, let's say you take the word mother, and every letter in the word mother stands for something. It's like if you were going to write your mom a poem, and you just, you know, embroider it on her pillow. You know, mother, M. I don't know, help me out here. (laughs) What is it? Magnificent. Magnificent in all of your ways or most. No, I'm kidding. You know, oh, because you only have one mother. T for all the time that you spent with us. H. What? Harping. For harping on us. (laughs) An acrostic poem. It's a little corny, right? But I bet your mom would like it. And it's not so much that it's genius. Oh my goodness, I never knew that the M stood for magnificent. 
It's not that the M stands for magnificent. You're just, it's almost like you're saying, Mom, let, I love thee, let me count the ways. M. O. T. You know, there's something about using each of those letters. Now, this acrostic isn't a word. It's the whole alphabet. So if you were to take a long legal pad, and so, Mom, I love you, let me count the ways. A. B. C. D. This is how awesome you are, Mom. E. F. I thought of G, I thought of H, you know, and you go through the entire alphabet and X, Y, Z were kind of tough. But even those have something to say about how awesome you are. Right. I'm giving you guys ideas. okay? because if you're running around like, oh, my goodness, I didn't do anything. Go home and write out the alphabet (laughs) on a nice stationary and and do an acrostic. okay? one line per letter. That's what this is. So if you look at it, the first one, um, it goes, an excellent wife, who can find she is far more precious than jewels. And then it goes, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Then it says, she does him good. Then it says, she seeks wool and flax. Each of those lines starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, why do they do that? One reason is because if you're trying to memorize portions of scripture, which good Jewish Children would do many times. It's easier to memorize if it's A, B, C, D, E, F. What's the next verse? I know it starts with an E, and that helps you. But the bigger reason why is because when you go through the whole alphabet, it's, it's like a sense of completion. It's like a sense of perfection. You know, you're complete. A complete woman, a perfect woman looks like this. Now, no woman is perfect. So this passage is not saying every woman has to learn how to work wool and flax. Every woman has to learn how to buy and sell fields. Every woman has to do this. Every woman has to do that. Every woman has to so uh, back her husband that he becomes famous in the city. It's not possible and it's not what the passage is saying. What it is saying is saying this is what a godly woman looks like. It looks like this. It looks like that. Not saying one woman can accomplish all of this. Okay, so... That's, that's off your back. But it is, a, it is a description that encapsulates, right? It brings together all the Proverbs that are before it, all 30 chapters before this. It's basically saying the woman exemplifies all this. She's wise. She does things that are wise. She, and as you read the Proverbs, I love reading the Proverbs. And you read through them and, and it's, just got, it's just dripping with wisdom. Like watch out for these kinds of people. Stay close to these kinds of people. Don't do deals like this. Don't borrow stuff to people, but do give stuff to people. Watch out for people that are trying to do this to you because this is what it's going to end up like. When that lady comes and she seems really you know, nice and everything, watch out because she might be like this kind of lady. And yes, you're allowed to drink, but don't be dumb. Don't be dumb because this is what drink will do to you. You know, the, the Proverbs are dripping with that stuff. And as a mom, as a wife, as a woman, she embodies it. That's why she's able to teach it. And then it culminates. It says in verse 30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This, this whole thing is praising a, a certain kind of woman. Now, she does a lot of things. She does a lot of things. But at the bottom of all of it, what produces all of that wisdom is the fact that she fears the Lord. 
and we've got to get this right because we, and especially in our, I mean, in every society across the history of humanity, I mean, we praise charm and beauty. I mean, th- this, is what, this is what we learn to uplift. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how prominent uh, outward physical beauty is for, for us. I mean, it's not just guys. Women promote it. It doesn't take long before uh, the girls start realizing that in school that the, the ones that the guys pay attention to, the ones that when she's missing in class, everyone's like, where's so-and-so? The ones that get picked first, the ones that want to be sat around at lunch, they're the pretty ones. They're the ones, you know, cur- girls with straight hair want curly hair. Girls with curly hair want straight hair. Girls with long hair want a short. Girls with short hair regret it and wish it grew faster. You want to tan because you're too light. You, you want to lighten it because you're too dark. You want your eyes that look a little more Asian. These eyes are too Asian. You wish it was the other way. I mean, everything is an impossible standard to try to catch up with. And while the entire world is trying to push toward this, this proverb is saying that's not what makes a woman beautiful. And I know we say that theologically and we agree with it in our minds. Yes, yes, that's what makes a woman beautiful. But we need to go out there and like really live that. And, and parents, we need to praise that in our daughters. It's nice to be like, oh my goodness, you're so beautiful. It's so, that ribbon in your hair, that's beautiful. Tell your daughter they're beautiful, but outweigh it with the inside beauty. You know, my daughter was up here praying with us this morning and I kind of, she kind of didn't want to do it because it's kind of boring, you know. And I just told her afterwards, Hon, remember last night when you prayed that thing and as soon as you prayed it, as soon as you prayed it, it happened. Do you remember that? And you wrote it in your journal. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, that's the power of prayer. And I'm trying to build that in her. I'm like, that's, that's awesome that you did that. That's awesome that you sat there, you know, because that's what makes a woman beautiful. That's not being charming. Because behind that charm could be something false, right? I mean, it's deceitful. And it's not beauty because it says, in my translation, the ESV says beauty is vain. Now, vain is kind of a weird word. And I kind of wish we would maybe, this maybe had a different word behind it. But the word translated vain is the same word in the Hebrew for vapor or breath. You know, when it's real cold outside and you go outside and you go, and you see the breath for like a second, and it's gone. When you're making a pot of tea and you see the steam come up and you're trying to follow it and you can't follow it because after a second it disappears. What this is saying is that that's what beauty is like. Beauty disappears. You know, something can happen to you and beauty is gone or you get old and beauty is altered or you go to a doctor and try to alter it and then you come out and you, you think you look beautiful but everybody's like... Hi, you know, you can't win. You can't win. Even the models on magazines, you know, they they say in interviews like, well, that's the airbrushed me. This is like the actual me. You can't win. It's fleeting. It's deceitful. And it's a vapor. It vanishes. But there's something that doesn't vanish. There's something that isn't fake. There's something that doesn't deceive. There's something that's real. And is truly what's praiseworthy about any woman, any mom, any wife. This is what's praiseworthy. The fear of the Lord. I mean, as I was reading this, that verse just popped out at me. Like, if there's one verse that subsumes all the rest, 
You can't say the essence of womanhood is flax and wool. The essence of womanhood is considering a field and buying it. The essence of womanhood is not charm, not beauty, but the fear of the Lord. Ding! That one fits. And it's right towards the end of the entire acrostic, I think purposefully. Because it's saying all of this doesn't matter if you don't have this. I mean, up until that verse, this could describe any kind of woman, right? Someone who didn't believe in God. You know, every unbeliever out there isn't some um, murdering serial killer seething with hatred. I mean, there's people that don't know the Lord that, that buy and sell fields. There's, there's women who don't have anything to do with God, don't want anything to do with God, that tuck their kids in at night, right? I mean, why is this chapter in the Bible? Is it so that women should be more productive? Women should get more stuff done? Do it! You know, is that what it... No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying she exercises wisdom. But the difference between her and people outside of the, the, the God's family that might do some things that are, look wise is that she fears the Lord. She fears the Lord. You know why she praises her husband? Why she backs his plays? Why she speaks highly of him in those groups? And the ladies kind of don't like her sometimes because it's going around Robin and they all give him complaints about how retarded their husbands seem sometimes and then it gets to them and they're like, well, my husband actually did this awesome thing yesterday. And it's like, you know, she's always going to bring about her, her husband is this and her husband's that. But she's doing it because she fears God. She's not doing it because she fears her husband. She's doing it because she fears the Lord. It's late at night, and she promised somebody that she'd do something, and it's not done. She doesn't stay up late at night because she wants to look the part. She doesn't stay up late at night because she wants to make sure that the other ladies don't catch wind that she's not getting her stuff done. She stays up late at night because before the Lord, she wants her yes to be her yes and her no to be her no. And she dare not displease the Lord. And she's going to stay up till it's done because she fears the Lord. All right, so her motivation is worship. Her motivation is not trying to be a part of a, a family that looks the part in front of neighbors. Her motivation is worship. And that's the key distinction. There's a couple of verses that, are, that people say are the main verses in Proverbs. The first one we'll throw up on here is Proverbs 1.7. It says, the beginning of knowledge. All the stuff that we're going to share with you in Proverbs, all the chapters you're going to read, the beginning of it is the fear of the Lord. If you don't get the fear of the Lord, you don't get knowledge. You don't get what the Bible is trying to teach you with these wise things. You can do wise things, but you've lost the entire foundation of what all of it is is about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. And then again, uh, later on in Proverbs, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says it again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You want insight? You want to know the Lord? You want to do wisdom? You want to be a wise person? You begin with fearing the Lord. And so it's again and again and again in the Proverbs. Remember the karate kid? They walk in the dojo and there's two signs that are written in in Chinese and and um, and, uh, and and Daniel asked him, "Well, what do these say? Those are the two main rules. Rule number one: karate for defense only. What's rule number two? Rule number two is first learn rule number one. So the, the Proverbs, it's like that's what it's saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Okay, then what? Well, all these things, but those things don't matter if you don't learn rule number one: fear God. 
fear the Lord. The things that you do, you do because you fear him. The things that you do is because you revere him. God is so awesome. God is over you. I have to share one more verse with you. It's in the book of Exodus. And you remember um, that when the people were gathered around this mountain in the Old Testament, the Israelites were gathered around, and God wanted to talk to the people. This is my people. I rescued you from Egypt. I'm going to talk to you. And when he spoke, everything shook. There was lightning. There was thunder. And they're like, whoa, whoa. And they told Moses, this is too much. You go talk to him and then just let us know. You know, give us the cliff notes afterwards because we can't, we can't have a conversation with this God. And in this verse, in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off. Then it says this, And the people said to Moses, You speak to us, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. I mean, they're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for their lives. Moses said to the people, Now this is funny, right? Do not fear. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, so that the fear of Him may be before you, so that you may not sin. Now, if you, let's leave that up there for a second, because he's saying, do not fear. God is only doing this so that you'll fear. Right? I mean, I'm reading the same English that you're reading. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Why? That the fear of Him may be before you. Well, why? Because if you fear Him, then you won't sin. But don't fear. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, what is that? Don't fear him. He only wants you to fear him. I'm trying to console you. Don't fear. Don't fear. God is only doing this so that you'll fear him. Right. There's two different kinds of fear. There's the first fear that is the uh, afraid fear. That fear is like um, you're sleeping late at night and um, you're a little kid, you know, and your parents aren't home and you hear a thud in the garage and you wake up and you're like, who is that? Mom or dad would come through the front. Who's going through the garage? And then you get this fear, like it could be somebody that's coming to hurt me. It could be someone that's coming to take me. It could be somebody that's going to come and do something to me or steal or rob things in the house. And it's that kind of fear. Right? Uh, I experienced that when I was um, about eight years old. And I was standing in a toy aisle and my dad was looking at tools or something. And I'm like, can I just look at toys? This is really boring. It's like, all right. So I went a couple aisles over and I was looking at the toys. And this other kid is about a teenager. I don't know, maybe 15 or something. And he came and told me the story. You need to come with me. We're doing something. It was some kind of story. And I just, I didn't trust him. I didn't understand what he was saying. And he's like, you have to come with me. And he's grabbing me by the arm and he was going to take me. And in that moment, I'm kind of going with him. And I'm like, well, like, what's happening here? I don't know. I'm a little kid. I'm naive. I don't know what's going on. Um, so then I just, I chopped him, and I, no, I didn't do that. 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't even know I was in danger for a minute. You know, I just was just like, where is he taking me? And then I just, something clicked, like, he's not an authority. He's not a police officer. He doesn't even work here. He doesn't have the little vest or whatever that the workers wear. And so I, I just remember saying no, and I, and I pulled my arm, and then he chased me. And I'm running down the aisle with this kid twice my size chasing me, and I'm just calling for dad, right? And then I finally saw my dad. And I, I remember he was wearing this long black coat, and I just remember loving the sight of seeing my dad. And I ran to him, and he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, this guy tried taking me. And dad grabbed my arm, and then dad started hunting through the aisles to look for this, for this kid. And I remember, I mean, we never found him. We were driving home, and I said, dad, what would you have done if you found him? You know? And he's like, I would have slapped that kid. You know? and I'm like, oh, man, I would, have, I would have paid to see that. I would have given up toys to see that, I'm thinking. You know? like, that would have been awesome. My dad coming to the rescue, right? So that scary moment, that's one kind of fear. There's another kind of fear, another memory I have when um, my dad told me to do something, go upstairs and do something, and, and I didn't want to do it. And so I walked out of the room upset. And he said, don't stomp up those stairs. Now, my dad never yelled. I yell. I don't know where I get it from. My dad never yelled. And he said, don't stomp up those stairs. And so when I get to the stairs, I go... And I stomped all the way up. And I went in my room and I just felt like I showed him, right? So then he came up the stairs. <laughs> and he goes into my room and he's getting ready to, you know, spank me. And everyone's going, no, dad, no, 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 don't hit me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's that kind of fear. That's not the same fear that I feared the kid because I knew that kid wanted to hurt me. Dad didn't want to hurt me. I was just afraid of the correction. I was afraid of, of what he would do. And if he did do it, he had every right to do it. The kid trying to steal me had no right to grab my arm, no right to even talk to me, no right to pull me out of that aisle. But if my dad wanted to discipline me there, he had every right to do it. I was still scared of it, but it wasn't like a, an afraid like, oh my goodness, uh, this person hates me. It was a fear like, wow, I deserve that, but I just really hope you don't. I'm trying to put it in a context where you can get what Moses is trying to say here. Don't fear him like the guy trying to murder you. Right? Don't fear him like the guy that just, just wants to just be evil to you. Don't fear him like that. The Lord is just showing you his strength. He's showing you who you're messing with here. He's showing you that he's God and you're not. You don't approach his mountain. You don't walk into his presence just talking stuff. You don't go to him whenever you just feel like it, however you feel like it. You don't live your life however you feel like it and then waltz in his presence and act like you're worshiping him. God doesn't play that. So don't fear him like you would fear a pagan king who just wants to kill you because he wants to expand his kingdom. But do fear him like a shepherd holding a rod. Do fear him like a parent. Do fear him like an authority in your life. Do fear him like somebody who has rules. Do fear him like somebody who's holy and can't just allow you to just be whoever you want to be if you're going to be his child. And so when you get to the Proverbs and it says the beginning of wisdom, if you want to start with wisdom, you fear the Lord. One picture that really shows us what this fear is, is the cross. Right? The cross of Jesus Christ. You ever wonder, why, why, didn't, he, why didn't Jesus just get like whew, beheaded? They, that was invented. 
<laughs> far before they came up with the cross. You know what the cross was, right? It was a board meeting of a bunch of uh, sick dudes that sat in a room and they said, okay, how can we take someone to the cusp of death and just keep them dangling there in as much pain as possible without actually going into death? We don't want to lose them, but we just want to keep them as, in that hurt as long as possible. What if we hang them somewhere for a long time? That's good. That's good. Put that on the board. Oh, but that's not enough because that's, like, that's like too long. And we've got other people to execute. Can we accelerate that process a little bit, but not, not kill them? Well, what if we nail them on it instead of roping them to it? That's good. But if the nails pierce something vital, no, 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 no. There's spots in the body where you can put the nail through. It rings with pain, goes through the nervous system, and they're racked with pain, but it doesn't pierce any organs. That's good. That's good. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. That's how they came up with this crucifixion stuff. Why that? Jesus had to die. Why? Did he have to get tortured? You watch the passion. They're punching him, plucking his beard, right? What is all that? It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God that would be unleashed. The wrath that was unleashed in the flood that flooded the world, except for those few that were in the ark. And Jesus' death later would be applied to that family. The wrath that uh, rained, uh, you know, fiery stones on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. The wrath that will happen when you read the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes back. And this time he doesn't come back as a lamb, but this time he comes back as a lion and he starts wiping things out. That wrath, that wrath had to be blocked for you. And so Jesus couldn't just do something quick and painless. He, He endured wrath. He endured suffering, he endured pain, and then finally separation from God, right? And so when we approach God, there's a mix of feelings, there's a mix of emotions when you worship God, because on the one hand, you should be dead. On the one hand, you shouldn't be talking to him, you shouldn't get to say his name, you shouldn't get to raise your hands, you shouldn't get to walk into a place that was specifically designed to house the worship of this this holy, awesome, transcendent God, we shouldn't be able to come and congregate and worship Him, speak to Him. We shouldn't get to pray to Him. But yet somehow, because that wrath was blocked, we get to. And what the Bible tells us, now we come and we approach with boldness and with confidence, right? We don't go in there like, um, God, can I pray to you? It's, you know, it's like, Lord, I pray, I lift up this request, and in Jesus' name I pray that request. It's an authoritative prayer. It's a powerful prayer. How is that possible? Because that that wrath is blocked. And so we fear the fact that we should have gotten that wrath. But then at the same time, there's this joy, there's this worship that follows, this rejoicing that follows because of the fact that it is blocked. And so when we think of the cross, we look at a cross, the death that I should have endured, but that I didn't. Justice and mercy at the same time. God's wrath and God's grace at the same time. And so when this passage talks about womanhood, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, disappears like a puff of vapor. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the essence of what a woman does is to learn how to fear God. 
And as a wife, what she does as a, as a wife to her husband or with her husband is a result of her fearing God. Now, what if it's not reciprocal and the husband starts doing stuff that's not worthy of that stuff? Well, thank the Lord that she wasn't doing it because she feared her husband. She's doing it because she fears the Lord. What about the children? When they get so rambunctious and they get old and they're rebelling and they, they Facebook all this junk and talk all this stuff about mom and you don't feel very appreciated. Well, thank the Lord that you don't fear your children. But you do what you do as a mom because you fear the Lord. And then as a household, you know, hopefully everyone's together in it. Some moms are going it alone with a husband that's totally checked out spiritually and then children that don't quite get it yet. And if the mom's got to go it alone, she stands before the Lord and says, you know what? As much, as much influence as I have on my house, we're going to serve you. We're going to serve the Lord because we fear you. And I dare not do anything that displeases you. That's what the best thing is that a mom could pass down to her children. I want to invite us to pray for a moment. Um, Father, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a message that's tough because those of us who had the best moms that uh, we could go through the alphabet five times praising her with an acrostic like that, um, still they're not perfect. We need you. Moms are a gift from you, but they don't replace you. Um, But I pray a special prayer for the moms here this morning, uh, that you would give them strength and courage. um, All that they run around and have to do. um, The young moms, all that they look forward to. All the question marks that are ahead, that you would... Give them the grace to just laugh at what's to come because they trust in you and they trust that you'll give them the wisdom they need to be that worshipful presence in the house. Lord, I pray a special prayer for moms that are later on down the line. Maybe they're grandmothers already. Maybe they're great-grandmothers. And sometimes you sit in that position and you've learned so much since that time that you regret what you didn't know when you were there. I should have raised them like this. I should have done that. I should have said this. Lord, help, us, help them to not dwell on what's behind them, but to fix their eyes on the cross before them and the presence, the change that's present now and to be the best mom, grandmom, great-grandmom that they can be now because you're, they're a work in progress and what you reveal to us now, Lord, you expect us to live up to now. Lord, I pray a special prayer for the women in here who um, uh, maybe aren't uh, at the stage of life they want to be. Maybe they want to be married or want to have kids or want to have more kids or want to have less, less kids, whatever the situation is. that you just, it, They're just uh, in, a, in a tough spot right now. Um, I pray a special prayer of grace upon them uh, that you would be their fulfillment and that um, because you're their shepherd they truly shall not want Um, help them to um, temper those desires with um, a robust full bodied view of who you are and how content we can be in you I realize that's really easy for me to pray but Lord I pray that we would embrace it as the truth from your word, that you are enough.
Lord, I pray for us dads that um, we would appreciate the women in this church a little more. Um, and stop thinking we're so tough and we have all this stuff that women could never understand when, or childbearing and um, all the, the issues that women have to deal with, Lord, we could never understand. Help us to, to praise them, to praise the women in this church, to lift them up and thank them to bless them for being who they are, Lord. Uh, most churches are mostly women. I, I thank you, Lord, that um, for whatever reason, women tend to respond more. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that we have those examples to look to and the encouragement that we get from that. Um, help us to be complete households, Lord, and that you would honor the faith of the praying wife, the praying mom. Bring those children into the fold. Bring those husbands that are on the fence. Bring them into a serious relationship with you so that as households we can say, we serve you. We serve the Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.